Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, fellow explorers to Awareness Explorers. I'm Jonathan Robinson, your co-host, and I am with my trusty co-host and friend, Brian Tom O'Connor. And woohoo, it's a new year and it's our 100th episode. We are thrilled to have 100 episodes. We're grateful to all our listeners and all our Patreon supporters and Anyone who's trying to work on themselves to reach higher states of consciousness. I, I do just want to mention that uh, if you're interested in getting extra guided meditations and extra things from our guests and blogs and such, you can go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers, and you'll see for as little as a dollar a month or more, you can get all these extra goodies and it is all described on that page. Thank you to our Patreon supporters because you've made this possible. And to all our supporters, because we don't like just talking to ourselves, although in a certain way, that's all always what we're doing <laughs> to our bigger self. But with 100 episodes, there's a lot of stuff we've covered. And in this episode, we plan to do two things. One is talk about some of the greatest hits of Awareness Explorers, things that keep coming up over and over again as Brian and I explore things with each other and our guests. And also we put out that we were uh, going to answer your questions during this episode, which we will also do. We got a list of great questions from various people and we will do our best to answer them in the second half of this episode. So as you think about hundred episodes, Brian, what stands out to you that may have surprised you or may have thought, wow, I didn't I didn't really expect that. But now that we've done 100 episodes, I see X keeps coming up. <laughs> well, first of all, when we started, we weren't even planning to have guests at all. It started out as just the two of us gabbing with each other about awareness. And I still enjoy those episodes immensely. Yeah. And I love talking to you about it. Uh, so what sticks to me is how much I enjoy our interaction, how much I enjoy our give and take, even though often there's sometimes we disagree. Initially, it was about the two wing analogy, where uh, one wing being sort of working on yourself and one wing being more self realization as, as pure awareness and, and, um, you have often convinced me that both wings are necessary to have a, a well-rounded life. And yet at the same time, I feel so devoted to the idea of realizing who you really are, which is not your body and your mind and your personality as primary importance. And I stand like fix, fixing what's wrong with you has always seemed less important to me. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, the two wing analogy comes from if you have a plane and one wing is very strong and one wing is very weak, you'll go around in circles and eventually crash. And I think we both have been good at convincing each other about the importance of the wing that we both represent a little bit more. So you have convinced me that, you know, it really comes down to, are you spending time in pure awareness? Do you know your true nature? How much are you doing that? Because that that ability improves everything immediately. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Um, and then hopefully to some extent, I've convinced you that, you know, you want to also work on your psychology. You want to work on your body. You want to work on your interactions with people, because if you don't, you can have a pretty messy life or you can be a jerk, even though you're highly awake. Um, that can happen. So, they can work together really well. And usually people can guess which wing is weaker for them. And my conclusion is that it's always good to focus a little bit on the wing that's a little bit weaker, you know, so you're more balanced. 
Yeah, and it's so interesting because, and even though I, I totally get all that you said, and, and it's all true, um, I've always felt you don't focus on the wing that's weaker. You focus, I mean, I've never thought focusing on your weaknesses was a good strategy. I always thought focusing on your strengths was the better strategy. Yeah, and one of the things that makes our podcast alive is that we're both brilliant and often disagree with each other. <laughs> yes, and we both have strengths and weaknesses. And we both are not as humble as I would like. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, and we both have strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, absolutely. But the um, second thing I, I mentioned when you asked that was that I never thought we were going to have guests. And I remember our first guest, which I feel so honored that he was our first guest, was Rupert Spira. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. And I remember going to a, um, a, a talk he was giving here in New York at the Open Center and handing him a letter from you inviting him and him saying, well, you know, I get so many of these, I probably won't um, say yes, but I'll give it to my assistant. And then lo and behold, we got a message saying he wanted to be on it. And I was just so thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. And since then, we've kind of uh, been able to interview anybody we want, pretty much. Deepak Chopra, Byron Katie, Jeffrey Martin, Fred Davis, you know, uh, all these great people and many more who are not necessarily as well known, but their insights have been uh, amazing. Um, something that's come up a lot, in my opinion, as I thought about our episodes, is that there's many different forms of inquiry, you know, and with that, it, there's a lot of different methods to awaken. And we don't know what's best for an individual person. That's why we've been committed to exploring different ideas and hoping that something lands on a person. And you've been so good at coming up with all these different methods too, that you gotta try it out and see what works for you. There is no one path to awakening, enlightenment, or even happiness. And um, that's been really clear as we've gone into many different explorations. Yes, that's right. I think that really is key. And even something that you tried yesterday may not work today. But it brings me to, I think, probably one of my biggest insights over these few years is that the idea that we do these methods to achieve a state, a particular state that we would like to be in, or to get rid of any particular state that we don't want to be in, but we're in, that that alone is an obstacle. So yes, we have a lot of these methods, but it's very important not to think of these methods as trying to get somewhere or get something, but it's actually totally the opposite. It's looking at what's already there and realizing that your idea of something that's going to happen to you in the future is actually kind of a veil of uh, uh, disguising the joy and and true happiness of your true nature that's already there. Yeah. And it's important to hear that over and over again, because in our society or our culture or culture, we are taught over and over again, something very different than that. And there's just so many ways to go into this idea that enlightenment or awakening is something that happens far in the future. And it's only now, uh, there's only now, now is it, now is the end of the story. And hopefully we have drilled that into ourselves and our listeners enough that maybe that's becoming real. Maybe. <laughs> uh, and there's so many other obstacles too. Uh, you know, there's, there's, um, our conditioning. You know, one way of looking at awakening is doing the direct path of just enter more fully into now without resistance and, and pure awareness can be there. But there's so many obstacles in the way and you can get lost in, the, in looking at the obstacles or you can recondition yourself so that you're not so triggered by all your obstacles. And we've talked a lot about that. That's right. And it really is. I mean, you do when you're less triggered, you do lead a more peaceful life. And that's really great. But at the same time, 
when you're triggered, who's triggered? It's that individual personality, body, mind, ego that's triggered. It's not the real you. The real mm -hmm. you is that pure, clear, open space that notices that this person known as Brian or this person known as Jonathan is triggered at the moment. And even when you're triggered and even when you have an emotion that you don't want and even when your mind is busy, that true nature of pure awareness is, is there. You don't have to create it. You just have to notice it. Right, right. And, and I do sound like a broken record, so I apologize. I keep coming back to this over and over again, but I just so deeply believe it. And the paradox of the whole thing is that I say, it, you know, this is not about creating a state. It's not about, you know, because if I sit down and I said yesterday I meditated and it made me really joyful, I want to create that joy again. It doesn't work. And when I say, okay, I'm totally okay with the fact that I feel crappy right now. <laughs> the joy floods in. And that's the paradox. Yeah. You stop trying to get to that state. <laughs> Somehow that state arises. I it's it's hard to explain, but it seems true. Yeah, and I, I still get caught in that, you know, the idea of I will do this so that I can get somewhere else. And and you're frequent reminders have been useful for me. I hope they're useful for our guests as well. Something that uh, I wrote an article, and I think I sent it to our Patreon supporters about how spirituality is changing. And we don't think of it as, you know, like our computers change, our technology changes, but spirituality changes as well. And it has entered into the information age where it's changing really quick. And something I've seen in talking to a lot of well-known teachers is that they are saying different things than they did 25 years ago. If you remember 25 years ago, I, I edited a book called The Experience of God, where I interviewed everybody from Mother Teresa to the Dalai Lama and anybody you had known. And the answers are totally different than when we ask people questions now. And to me, that means that something is advancing, that there's more agreement now as to what people need to do and what people need to not do to grow spiritually. And I think that's a good thing. Like, for example, there's less emphasis on like just shutting off your inner dialogue. We've agreed that's friggin' impossible. <laughs> yeah, but there is agreement that you can change your relationship with your inner dialogue or change your relationship with your emotions, which was the subject of our last episode. There's agreement that working on trauma sometimes is useful because if you awaken, you still have all this trauma that can be a problem. But I'm wondering what has struck you in terms of how things are coalescing or how things have changed since you have entered the path? Well, the thing that's changed the most that I've noticed out there, because when I first started with this, I mean, I haven't, when I first started looking into spirituality and I, the only reason I was doing it was because I was depressed and I thought it might help with that. Mm -hmm. The only reason I, so I started looking into it and, and, I tried a few things that didn't seem to be working, but when I stumbled upon uh, non-duality and uh, and contemporary teachers and the classic teachers from last century, I kind of stuck with that. So that for me hasn't changed that much over the years. It's just that very early period when I tried a whole bunch of stuff that didn't work, and then I found one that worked for me and stuck with it. But what I have noticed is that that idea that the non-dual perspective has boomed in terms of how many other teachers there are talking about it yeah and i and i love that and i used to read books because i was hoping to get something from them and i no longer feel i need to get anything from a book but i still read them because i'm so curious about how other people put the same thing in different words Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoy that, and I, 
and I admire so many other teachers and writers on this subject. Yeah. Well, there's certainly been a boom in non-duality, and there's also been a boom in what I would call somatic awakening, very much going into the body and using the body as a vehicle of awakening rather than seeing it as an obstacle to awakening. You know, going deeper into sensations, going deeper into just being present fully in your body. Uh, we talked about, you know, Judith Blackstone, the realization process and, and John Prendergast. Uh, those, are, uh, those are becoming more and more popular because they're very embodied and they work. And I think they have a lot of other advantages. We live in bodies, so you can't just kind of pretend they're not there. I agree with you wholeheartedly that that you're right. I think that is one of the, the major shifts and it's really important. And it's something that, you know, I ignored initially and discovered, mm -hmm. wow, the best way to get out of my head is to notice what's happening in my body. And, mm -hmm. and that simple realization really was huge. It was huge for me, too, because we're both pretty intellectual. I'm sure our listeners haven't gotten a clue about that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fact that I can feel my heart, I feel my gut, or feel my entire body is like, you know, you're awakening to a new part of you. And that's exciting. That's an exploration. And that it like opens up new possibilities as you become more than a walking head, you know, or a talking head, you you uh, open up into a new world. And that's really exciting as we practice those things and, and experience that. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing about the body is that it really holds a lot of tensions. There's clutching that happens and it's ancient and it's been there so long, sometimes we don't even notice it. And one of the three things that I've noticed that are absolutely important in recognition of your nature, number one is simply relaxing. In other words, finding out where inside you're clutching against experience and let it go, let go of that. And that most of that happens in parts of your body that, that are sort of being held. And when you let go of that, things flow through you. Things like emotions flow through you and then leave. They don't stick around. And the second thing about it is that, yes, we're both pretty analytical and I've always been analytical and I started this by figuring it out. And, and figuring it out is important only to figure out where to start looking. But once you start looking, figuring out is now useless. You must yeah. look inside, drop below the neck into your heart area or drop back into the background of awareness and be that. Experience what it feels like to be that and not analyze it and not figure it out because the intellect is the wrong tool. It's a useful tool but it's the tool of separation. It's the tool of making distinctions between things, and it can't be used for understanding the unity of all things. Well said. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now, uh, one last thing I think that stands out for me is um, let, what you said about relaxation, which is really a letting go, letting go of constrictions of mind, letting go of constrictions of body, letting go of constrictions of beliefs, letting go of constrictions around certain feelings. And, you know, we don't have a school for letting go. I'd love there to be a school called the school of letting go. And, you know, life is doing its part. It's sending us, a, a, you know, a bunch of stuff that we could try to let go of, you know, and and it also previews that eventually we have to let go of all our friends and family and our body. So it's a good school to start that process with. And the techniques we talk about are primarily letting go techniques because our true nature is always there. It doesn't, it doesn't go somewhere. What goes somewhere is us, you know, and our our um are, are obstacles that take us into all kinds of stories and beliefs and dramas. And um, really, 
what we're here to do is learn to let go of a lot of that stuff so that we can be more present. Yeah, beautifully put. So I think um, that's the the 20-minute version of some of our favorite topics and observations. But I know we have a lot of questions that our listeners sent us, and you and I are going to try and tackle some of these questions just as a way of serving our, our listeners. And thank you for sending us your questions. So what's one of the first questions, Brian? Well, just first of all, I want to say I'm going to go through the questions in the order that we receive them in case we run out of time. I want, you know, the people who got to us first will get their questions asked. Uh, and second of all, I want to thank everybody who did send questions. I'm so grateful to you. So our first question is from Sharon, and she asks, what's the best way to deal with pain in terms of getting past it to awareness? I'll give a shot at that. You know, Adya Shanti said some stuff about that. And I had severe back pain for about two years. And the mind and the stories that the mind creates are of no help whatsoever, uh, unless they get you to a better practitioner who can help you. You know, so it's really a matter of, can you feel the sensations and let them be as they are, give them space? and not create a future-oriented story, a poor me story, more than you have to. And it's a real challenge. Um, I really feel for people in that situation. A lot of people are in that situation. And I would encourage people in that situation to also keep trying different things, because eventually I did try something that did help. But most pain is not all the time it comes in and comes and goes so if you can relax with the uncomfortable sensations and not constrict around them in your mind and body that can sometimes help thank you yeah um next question is from lisa and uh i actually um did a quick response um to lisa and this over over uh email, but I also want to hear what Jonathan has to say about it. And Lisa says, I have realized only minds can join, and now the physical does not matter much to me as it did. I still want companionship, but how does one have a relationship with that mindset? The other person might not understand, lol. Uh -huh. And uh, I thought that was really interesting, and I had a quick thought about it, which was that I don't think that the other person in a relationship has to have an understanding of non-dual or any kind of spirituality. But if you just allow them to be as they are, you know, they tend to blossom in the relationship. And, um, but I'm curious to see, Jonathan, you're pretty much kind of a relationship expert. I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about this. Well, you know, we tend to think that we have to get all our needs met from one person, or that person has to fulfill every part of us. And I don't subscribe to that idea or belief. You know, so my wife doesn't do the type of spirituality I do at all. And that's fine. You know, we connect on many levels. We don't have to connect 100% on every level. So I know partners who are very deep into spirituality, and they're or, or people who are very deep into spirituality and their partners aren't into it at all, but they connect over sex, they connect over the children, they connect over politics, they connect over many other things. So that's one thing I would say. And you just never know. Uh, you know, I, I asked a, a friend of mine who's very awake how she does relationships because she doesn't even think of herself as existing as a person. I said, how's that work? And she said, you know, it's sometimes difficult for their partners, but everybody appreciates love and being loved. So if you can show your kindness and love towards anyone, you see who tends to hang around, even if they're not into the same ideas and beliefs as you, and enjoy that. And we don't have to, one of the advantages of being more spiritually awake is you don't have to get all your needs met from this one person 
because you're getting a lot of your needs met just from being with your true nature. And uh, I think our our models of monogamy and and that everything has to be connected are outdated and can be reviewed and you can create it however you want. Uh, That's a great answer. And I, I want to expand on that a little bit uh, on two of the points you made. Um, the last one being love. Yes, that's the most important thing. In fact, it's the answer to everything. When in doubt, love. Mm-hmm. Keeps and, it simple. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't feel loving, notice that that's just the temporary personality that doesn't feel loving. The, your true nature is already loving. It's there's mm-hmm. something in you that's already loving that you're not noticing. So go to yeah. love, go to love. And the second thing is um, kind of a variation on what you described. And I learned this from Adyashanti, who talked about it a lot in his relationship with his wife Mukti, which is that they both realized that their happiness is not dependent upon the other person. Right. So if you're in a relationship to get your happiness from the other person, then that's a recipe for probably a tough time in the relationship. But if you know that you, that your happiness is to be found within you and not from the other person, then you find that within you and you share it. And that's a, one of the advantages of being on the path of awakening. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Next question. Okay, this is from Ajay. And he actually has a couple questions here, which are good. Um, And the first one is, should you give in to your desires? Or are they a hindrance in the spiritual process? You take that one, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, desires are are a really complicated thing. And we all know that in in Buddhism, you know, they talk about desire as one of the primary obstacles. Uh, I look upon desire as something that is natural in our human bodies and minds. But when we realize that the fulfillment of these desires isn't what causes happiness, that that's the key insight. For example, and this is a classical example, you really want a new car. Mm-hmm. And you feel totally unhappy because you don't have a new car. And then you get a new car and you feel really happy. And then, of course, you know, a month later, you're no longer happy because that's worn <clears> off. <throat> and the thing to realize is that your happiness didn't come from getting the new car. It came from the fact that temporarily you were no longer desiring the new car. So it's, it's, it's desiring that it's the desiring that puts you in the future and away from the now. And in that way, they're a hindrance, but we also have to, at the same time, understand that it is, natural that humans Mm -hmm. desire and to be desire free might also be some sort of future state that that's going to be a hindrance right something that uh, i can add to that is that sometimes the best way to overcome your desire for something is to get it and then see oh yeah that wasn't so great or yeah okay that's what that's what you know a relationship is i really want a relationship and then you get a relationship and you think well, you know, that that you pay a price for that as well, <laughs> or money or whatever it is that that you don't crave something so much because you got it and you saw that it didn't totally do it for you. Right. Ajay's second question is about God and prayer. And he says, visualizing a picture of God helping you when you are stressed. Could this be an effective technique? And I had some thoughts about that, but if you want to Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think it can be depending on what you're trying to solve. I think that imagining a picture of God helps can help some people feel hope 
feel confident. But in a way, it's very much a psychological method, very much like having an imaginary friend might help soothe a fearful child. But I think for me, the experience that has been more effective was not having an image of God as a separate entity outside of myself. That didn't seem to help for me, although other people it may, and I don't want to take it away from anyone. For me, it was the idea that of looking within, of if there is only one thing going on in the universe, if it is only energy arising and falling in temporary forms, then who else is looking out through my eyes right now other than the universe, which is my definition of God. So if I want to look for God, I look inside and see what is noticing my experience. And then imagine, what if it's the same? What if it's not just some little thing inside me, but it's actually everybody looking out everyone's eyes simultaneously. Uh, that's where I would look. Uh -huh. Well, I get to disagree with you. And I always love disagreeing with you because we agree on so much and we need some conflict. So um, my view of this is that everybody is at a different place and they need different things, you know, do what works for you and, and try different stuff. And uh, for a while, I, I thought of God as, you know, outside of me and I would pray to God and uh, that worked at that time. And now I'm doing something different. So try stuff and listen for what seems to resonate for you. And that's the, that's the bottom line as far as I'm concerned. Well, actually, I don't disagree with you that if oh, okay. <laughs> visualizing a picture of God helps you when you are stressed, I wouldn't tell you not to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if it helps you when you're stressed, fine. But at the same time, every once in a while, try looking inside for it, for it. And I, I love the idea in some religions that, that you, you cannot picture God, that any image of what it is cannot be true because it is simply an object that's noticed in consciousness or in awareness. And God is universal consciousness or universal awareness. Now, I don't think that you have to actually believe that's true in order for it to be helpful to you. You could mm -hmm. say, let me try it on. What if this were true? And play with it. Play with it like you're like like you play with a toy to, or, or you take a, a, a something apart to see how it works. See if it works. If it doesn't, try something else. If what works for you makes you feel good and happy and peaceful and friendly and joyous, go with that. Good. And the next one. All righty. Spencer says, I'm wondering what your current favorite short phrase is that you use to center or ground yourself. Mine is, it is what it is. I love its deep radical acceptance and simplicity. I remember being fascinated with this statement as a child and not even understanding its true meaning. I recently wrote a song that has a lyric, uh, it is what it is, and if you know what's what, you'll say that's that and avoid a rut. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so great at these short phrases, many of which I've, I've uh, learned and taken on and tried out. What are some of yours? Well, for overcoming my judgmental mind, my favorite phrase right now is they are a perfect them. And, you know, I was watching the uh, show Cobra Kai yesterday in which they have this really bad guy on it, you know, uh, and the actor's great and he plays a really bad guy. And I was thinking, wow, that guy really plays a bad guy well. And sometimes when I see somebody who's being a jerk or a politician I don't like, I'll think they're being a perfect them, you know, and... And the, so I'm no longer resisting them and I can actually appreciate them, even though I don't like what they're doing. And that has helped me. But my main phrase I'm using now in normal life is um, simply thank you for this. 
And it could be in this moment, thank you for this, for this podcast. Thank you for this question. It could be, you know, uh, when something uh, last week, we didn't have electricity for five days. And I would use the phrase, thank you for this. Thank you for, first of all, the fact that I'm surviving without the electricity. Thank you for the fact that this wakes me up to how wonderful electricity is. And it might be, thank you for this current emotion and that lack of, re that, uh, lack of resistance and that appreciation helps me to let go of resistance and helps me to be more present. Yeah, I think that's great. And um, very similar to um, Spencer's phrase, it is what it is, is one of my favorites, which is, why shouldn't it be? Uh -huh. Why shouldn't this be happening? Or why should it be the way uh -huh. I think it should be? Um, I think that that's a really key phrase. And I also think that other really short phrases are several variations on self-inquiry. The most famous one is, who am I? But that doesn't always do it for everybody. So make up a find a variation that works for you. Like, what is this me? Or what is experiencing this? Or, or the one I, the, the one I'm using now in that way, because that the who am I hasn't worked for me. I, I say, um, can I now see through the Jonathan character? Right. Yes, that's a good one. Or what? knows my experience mm, that's what a good one the, yeah what knows my experience or what is this happening in um but i i think that you know for me going with just simply i i started with that and i've never left that i've looked for variations on it but i looking what is this i or another one is, what has never changed ever since I was a little kid? Mm -hmm. And you just got to find one or two that work for you. That's right. Exactly. Alrighty, Joshua has a couple questions. And the first one is, do you guys believe in reincarnation? Like, do you think we live over and over again until we finally get it right and then move on to join the cosmos? I've read some stuff, research of, of indications of that, but I think the way we think of reincarnation is too simplified. You know, do our bodies reincarnate? Well, they do go into the ground and then they become something else. So, you know, that's, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, I think that it's more important to ask yourself, what would be more useful belief? Because we don't know and it's probably more complicated than our simple, yes, there's reincarnation or no, there isn't. So what would be a useful way of you thinking about it? And if the idea of our soul learning lessons and reincarnating over and over again is useful for you, then I'd say, then you should take on that belief. Uh, I do think that there is something that survives death, but it's not exactly what you might consider you. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think so, too. And I think one of the great analogies is, is um, the whirlpool analogy in a stream mm -hmm. that, that uh, you know, we're temporary whirlpools in a stream. We're made of water just like the rest of the stream. And when that whirlpool fades away or dies down, there's still a little motion left in the water left over from the circular motion of that whirlpool that might interact with some other whirlpool. And personally, I find that more compelling than the reincarnation idea. But um, every once in a while, I find re the reincarnation idea somehow comforting, even though, my, even though I don't really believe in it. Every once in a while, I find myself thinking, wow, in the next life, such and such. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I, because I, because I don't really believe that there is a, that, 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 that there is a separate entity that's separate from everything else that's somehow going to survive. I, I don't really subscribe to it, but on the other hand, every once in a while, 
it's a it's a nice nice thought and imagination is actually really important more important than whether something is true or not mm -hmm. good Joshua's second question is, I was also wondering if an enlightened person will admit they are enlightened or will they not say so because this is being prideful? <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't for fear somebody will say, oh, he thinks he's enlightened. <laughs> but yeah, also, I don't uh, I don't have a ahead. comment on that one. Uh, I think different people do different things. There is no one when, when enlightened people do this. I've never judged a person because they claim to be enlightened. I only ascertained whether I thought they were telling the truth or not. But more important to me is the idea that enlightenment is a continuous state that you're going to achieve in the future. And I uh, and something happened to me where I just simply lost that concept. And instead, it seems to me something that is available something that's there right now that that doesn't arrive sometime in the future but that's already there that i can notice and that i can dip into and i've said this a hundred times so pardon me saying it again my favorite analogy of the infinitely refillable water bottle you've got this you carry it around with you and you can drink from that joy of pure awareness anytime you feel like it but you don't have to walk around with a bottle to your lips 24 7. yeah i like that analogy uh doug asks i've heard more than one spiritual teacher suggest that intellectual knowledge about awakening our study of the vedas can sometimes block or delay the direct experience of awakening indeed there are cases of people who have no spiritual practice or spiritual interest who awaken spontaneously so does mental knowledge of or focus on spiritual awakening have the effect of blocking spontaneous shift of awakening? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Fred Davis talks about this a lot, and uh, one of our guests. I think that a little bit of, of knowledge can be useful if it points you to practice and points you to the limits of the mind. And that I do see some people, they just get very involved in the intellectual idea of awakening and they miss the experience so i think it's it depends on the individual but that is a danger that you can have too much knowledge and not enough experience and that like the two wings analogy if you have a very strong wing of knowledge you want to have a very strong wing of experience to balance it out and so that's how I look at it. Uh, your thoughts on that? I agree with you in that they are pointers and you can use them to understand the pointer. I mean, read Upanishads. There's great wisdom there. But becoming a scholar of the Upanishads isn't what's going to waken you up, oh, uh, isn't what's going to awaken you. What's going to awaken you is, is realizing what it's pointing to and seeing if you can experience that. In other words, if you can be that, because the truth of awareness is not something you can see, it is only something you can be. And so the two great analogies here are classic, the finger pointing to the moon. If you're involved in the finger, you're looking in the wrong place, but the finger was very useful to point to the moon. Look at the moon. The other is the raft that you use to cross the river. You cross the river, but when you get to the other side, you don't carry the raft with you as you walk across the land. Good analogies. Deborah asks, as we round the corner into 2022, I'd like to know what action or event had the biggest positive impact on you in 2021. What are some of the questions you are contemplating for your own development this year? Oh boy, great questions. And it's a great question for everybody to ask themselves as you start a new year. Um, off the top of my head, something I've seen is the 
power of kindness. You know, there's so little kindness in the world that I've been asking myself, how can I be kind to the people around me? And my surprise is that it's been a great joy as I've been doing that. And of course, the people around me kind of like it too. <laughs> so um, I think in a world with so much suffering and so much hardship, that being a vehicle for that kindness, which happens as you dive in and drink of your true nature, is a, is a great focus to have. Yes, I agree. Um, for me, it was actually a conversation with Jonathan, John, with you, Jonathan, that I had once, not during the podcast, but in one of our planning sessions. And I will never forget this. I was talking about how the idea of getting something you don't have was an obstacle. And I found myself just laughing uncontrollably at that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I wasn't really analyzing it at the moment. It just, for some reason, something dropped at that moment, something fell away and, and, and just laughter poured forth. And, 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 and I'll never forget that. And so that, had a big positive impact on me through the whole year and which led me to think well i'm not really going to try and get anything in the coming year i'm just going to see if i can continue to live that insight mm. a good reminder for us all so in in the last few minutes let's try to answer a couple questions quickly just so everybody feels like they got their question answered if we can well i believe there's only one more right okay. now which is uh, again from Sharon, uh, who sent a second question, and she said, what do you guys think of the Course in Miracles as a tool for awareness? In other words, would the Course in Miracles count as a tool or as a religion? Seems to have very specific meditative practices and a non-dual basis. Yeah, I lived in a, a Course in Miracles commune for two years, and I did the Course. You know, once again, I, people are at different levels and different needs when it comes to their spiritual next step. And if you read the course and it speaks to you and you do the practices, then it's going to be very effective. And if you read the course and it doesn't speak to you and you don't do the practices, it's not going to be effective. And whether it be Course in Miracles or Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism, they all have religious aspects and they all have practice aspects. And so you can go down the religion path, which I think tends not to be that helpful, or you can go down the practice path that they're pointing to and hopefully experience a higher state of consciousness and more of your true natures. So if the Course in Miracles speaks to you and you like the practices, it's going to take you pretty far. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I'd like to read something that actually responded to Sharon about, um, because I... I think the Course in Miracles is absolutely fascinating. And yes, it is very, very non-dual. It's so different from the religions that focus on uh, the, the external God as opposed to the internal God and the separation between us and God as opposed to the union, the universality of all things. But for me, just my own personal tastes, I found A Course in Miracles to be a little long and complex. And although I've gained a lot of insights from it, to me, the realization is so utterly simple. We are the universe, or God, if you prefer, looking out of our eyes and all eyes simultaneously. And when we turn our attention around and within and be that knowingly, the joy of that can come flooding through from the universal to the individual. So I love A Course in Miracles. I think it's great, but know that I think the truth is so simple. Yeah, it's easy to lose the simple. So you may, you said we made it through all the questions. We is did make it through all the questions, at least oh, unless fantastic. I missed some. And if, and, and if anyone has sent a question after we recorded this, I apologize for not getting your question in. Right, right. You know, and in looking back in our, our 100 episodes, 
you know, I just want to thank all our great guest explorers and, and we're going to have many more guest explorers in the upcoming year. Some people I'm very excited about. And, you know, I've noticed that sometimes a guest explorer will just say a sentence or something that just whaps me on the head and helps me to see things differently. Like one example is Fred Davis said, you know, in a room, there's a lot of space, but it, it, it's not really empty space. You think of it as a glue that holds everything together. And I started to see that, you know, space is really a, a thing. Um, or uh, Deepak Chopra said, you're not a, a, a person with a body, you're a, your awareness that is temporarily experiencing a body. You know, these little phrases sometimes can make a big difference. And Lion Goodman said, you know, our beliefs are things that you can try on and try and take off like clothes. They don't need to be permanently attached to you. So sometimes it just takes a phrase or something somebody says or something Brian and I say, and you can really go with it and it can make a difference in your life. Yeah, that's beautiful. And all those memories are great. And the one takeaway from our guests that I wanted to mention is that even apart from the content of what they say, I found the experience of listening to them and opening to their, for lack of a better word, spiritual energy um, to be really um, effective. I mean, in other words, when I stop trying to judge or figure out or understand and just say, okay, I'm just going to be open to what this person has to say and let it flow into me, then um, the experience of love and joy and connection is just right there. I'm glad you said that. It's so true. And uh, it's a blessing to be around this information, people passing it on, people who teach it. And we are grateful that we get to do that as well. Well, I'm grateful to you, Jonathan, uh, because it was your brilliant idea to have this podcast in the very beginning. Well, thank you, Brian. And you do most of the work, so I'm grateful to you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, please tell your friends and family about it. And we're not doing a meditation this time because we have about 90 of them on our website. And we wanted to explore a lot of these ideas, but feel free to go to our website, download any of those meditations. And I find that they're very helpful, not just the ones you and I do, but the ones our guests do. Uh, I think that's a real resource that can add a lot of peace to anyone's life. Yep. Any last words of our 100th episode, Mr. O'Connor? Just two. Thank you. And keep exploring. Keep exploring. Oh, that's four. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, and keep exploring. Okay. Keep coming back. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.